Hey everyone, what is up? Welcome to the Lifestyle Lifters Show. I'm your host, your online transformation coach, Adrian McDonald, here to help you look, feel and perform better without restrictive dieting. And today I interview Brian O'Hengese. Brian is an online health and fitness and certified nutrition coach based in Dublin. And on today's episode, we spoke about a number of interesting and important topics, including calories. How important is it to track? If you are someone here listening and you track in MyFitnessPal, what are some of the common mistakes people make where you might be tracking, but the importance of actually assessing how accurate and the accuracy of the food you're tracking. We then spoke about convenient ways to bump up your protein intake at breakfast and lunch for busy workers out there. Because a common thing that we see in our coaching practices is someone having, we'll say something like porridge for breakfast and maybe soup for lunch, which can be quite good, quote unquote, good foods and, and carbohydrate sources. But the big thing they are lacking is a lean source of protein. So there's some convenient ways if you're someone who works on the go and you're quite busy to bump up that protein intake. Then I asked Brian about how important is food quality? So basically the IIFIM, which is if it fits your macros versus someone who is more like a 90-10 approach where 90% are whole foods, 10% are more single ingredient. What are the pros and cons of both approaches? And Brian just speaks about both methods in a bit more detail. We then speak about something we deal with a lot in our coaching practices, and that is binge eating triggers and ways of handling it. So if you are someone who has had issues or struggles in the past, like myself before with binge eating, first of all, it's important to identify the reason and the trigger for it, along with some solutions and ways you can handle it. And then we wrap it up, given the time of year it is, Christmas is coming, so tips for anyone with anxiety around eating out at restaurants or social occasions. How to maximize your enjoyment and minimize or even completely eliminate your guilt. Just unfortunately from, I'm not gonna say unfortunately, but just a common a common challenge some people have is allowing themselves to enjoy the occasion without having guilt or shame that they're on this weight loss journey and they can't eat in certain foods or in certain restaurants. So we wrap things up there. So a ton of value in the show. And again, as always, if you do get value from it, please pay the small fee. The fee is not monetary. Fee is just where you share share the show, share with a friend. I don't and I won't be running ads towards my podcast. And podcasts are very, very difficult to grow. To grow of all the platforms out there, they're probably the most difficult to one to grow on its own. But for our listeners here, uh, listeners like you, I would really appreciate if you just took a, a screenshot, tagged me at Mac Lifestyle Fitness and tag Brian at Brian O'Hengisa on IG and we will reshare it on our stories. Finally, this today is the 7th of December. This will be aired this day week on the 14th of December. I'm aware we are coming into the Christmas holidays and then around the corner, of course, is the new year. I have a limited number of spaces available for consultation calls for January coaching. If you are someone who wants to avail of them before they fill up, you can just send me a message on Instagram and just message me January coaching if you want a bit more info about how, if and how I might be able to actually help you. Um, that is all for now though. Let's get into today's episode. So episode number 43, I hope you enjoy with Brian O'Hengisa. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Lifestyle Lifters show and I am delighted to be joined by Brian O'Hengisa, an online health and fitness coach based in Dublin, Ireland but currently residing down in Cork. 
Brian, welcome to the Lifestyle Lifter Show. Adrian, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Uh, looking forward to having a good nutrition-oriented conversation here. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And before we dive into that, Brian, my first question to all our guests is, share something about yourself, Brian, that most people listening do not know. Ooh, that most people listening don't know. Hmm. That, what could I use for that? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling now that I'm on the spot. I'm... <laughs> Not like, to what... put you on the spot at all, Brian. I'm trying to think of what's an what's a what would genuinely not a lot of people know. Um can you come back to me on that later in the show and let that me... can be that can be your final question. So me, we'll, we'll yeah, give you a bit of time. Let me mull that <laughs> over uh, in the background. Uh well awesome. we have yeah, perfect, perfect. So, Brian, you're a certified nutritionist, and you've been qualified since 2015, as as we spoke about before we started airing this. So, tell me, Brian, like, what actually got you interested in the first part in becoming a certified nutritionist? Yeah, um, a pretty basic story with that. So, I, I was quite skinny as a young fella, you know, in secondary school, and was playing sports, um, and you know, I wanted to bulk up as as we often do want to um as as young men so i started going to the gym when i was you know as soon as i was allowed to go to the gym like in terms of age so when i was 16 i started lifting and then i got very interested in in how the the nutrition side of that will influence you know your your results and your progress um i found that to be very very interesting yeah. um, so when the time came to decide on you know if I want to, you know, go to university, um, you know, the nutri- nutrition in UCD was uh, kind of my, my top choice because I was like, okay, that sounds like we're really good. Uh, and just, yeah, that's how the interest was formed. And then I just carried on with it, like since then, you know. Awesome. Yeah, it just sparked an interest from a young age. And I guess then, Brian, ever since you've got into becoming a certified nutritionist, I'm sure we, we don't just come to a point where we're know-it-all straight away. It's like a learning curve. You learn through, obviously, the education, the books, but you also learn from experience. What were, we'll say, like some of the, just reflecting back now, what are some of the mistakes that you might have made and lessons you learned in the past just from your own mistakes regarding nutrition? Yeah, like <laughs> where to begin? Um <laughs> And and you're dead right. Like in terms of it being a learning curve, like it just it literally never stops, you know. Because, yeah. like, you know, on almost a weekly basis, I'll I'll learn something new or correct maybe a belief that I would have held in the past, which is probably, you know, where most of the mistakes were made. Is is having, you know, picking up ideas or beliefs from wherever it was at the time, um, that just weren't accurate you know so you yeah. you know you at that stage before you really know anything about anything or before you before you can appreciate how much you don't know and how much everyone else doesn't know as well so therefore you can't just trust all these you know self-proclaimed gurus out there um but there was all sorts it was like kind of a fundamental lack of understanding of the principles of nutrition right so like early days i would have kind of just attached myself to okay Diet quality is important. Um, eating lots of protein is important because I, I was generally, generally trying to just 
gain weight all the time, gain muscle mass all the time. Like that was my main thing. Uh, I was never overweight or anything, thankfully. Um, so it was always just about like skinny lad trying to get bigger, right? That was that was the gig. Um, so plenty of mistakes around that, you know, just just saying, okay, I'm just going to eat a shitload, and then that's, that's <laughs> right? and not really appreciating the role that even calories play or the role that. Um, well, that I would have appreciated like the, the protein aspect, but yeah, I mean, I can remember, you know, thinking that certain foods are good for muscle gain versus other foods. Right. And, you know, all the bodybuilders were eating oats and, and things like that and, and eating like tuna and stuff. And it's like, you know, they have their value because of the nutritional components of them, not because they're, you know, bodybuilding foods. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just, just no appreciation of like calories. I got, I got into the paleo diet for a while. Um, How was, was your experience with paleo, man? I, I did like give it a go myself too. I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah. Most people seem to have given it a shot. Like all of us uh, <laughs> it pretty much nearly uh, gave it a go at some point, but I mean, I, I still have a bit of a soft spot for it. Like it's, it's definitely not a bad diet as far as yeah. they, as far as they go. Um, It's just the, you know, it's it's not it's not that the diet there's anything wrong with the diet necessarily, depending on how it's put together. Like some of maybe the the kind of low carb emphasis is maybe a bit wishy washy and unnecessary. But it's more like the explanation of why you do certain things within the diet. It's like you know, oh, you can't eat gluten or or like legumes because they'll damage your intestinal lining. Or it's like, okay, well that's an issue. Like that's that's not good nutrition information right you don't want to be yeah. telling people that um but yeah i did the paleo diet for like a couple of years i had no problem with it like you know i was very very invested i was like you know okay eat these foods uh enjoy the diet but like it did mean that you know i didn't eat like bread and stuff for for a long long time um and if you know if i was going out for pizza or something i'd be getting gluten-free pizza and all this kind of unnecessary yeah. stuff um like definitely my my saturated fat intake was definitely too high during that yes. period yeah. with all the butter that I was consuming and putting <laughs> coffee at the time. So drinking those bulletproof coffees. Bulletproof. So, yes, man. Yeah. So like a lot of a lot of stupid shit, like in retrospect. But that's that's how you learn. And as long as you don't stay stuck in those beliefs, you know, it's 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 gonna be okay. But um like I mean I mean I have a lot of empathy for anyone who doesn't have like a keen interest in nutrition or any education in nutrition because you know if people like ourselves can get caught up with misinformation then it's like what chance do do lay people have all right so I have a huge amount of empathy for people trying to make sense of this stuff um and you know i wouldn't begrudge people for thinking a certain way but it's it's when obviously the kind of charlotte charlatans on on social media start cramming misinformation down everyone's throats that becomes an issue you know yes that absolute kind of thinking um that this is uh, like it's it's this way and this way only and i like i fell into that trap before as well brian i remember when i was in college i'd come home on a friday evening you went to college in limerick and my mum, fair play to her she would have a lovely irish dinner there on the table a steak mushrooms everything fried up uh, nice veggies there too and of course the staple of most irish dinners white potatoes now my belief at the time was that white potatoes are quote-unquote bad for you they'd make you fat so therefore i would have tossed them aside and i would not have eaten them 
<laughs> and like I would have been afraid to do that for probably a couple of years. And white rice was another food as well. So as you said, it's like just belief shifting too and questioning those beliefs you have around food and seeing how actually true or false they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's 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 such a shame, like especially with the, the potatoes, because like they're so such a good food choice. Unreal. Yeah. For, for many, many reasons, from like, you know, the, new, the nutrition profile in them versus other carbohydrates and the satiety that they bring as well like they're they're so good so anyone who like has body composition goals and then trying to lose weight or fat is like you know you should be eating more potatoes as your as your carb of choice absolutely yeah as you said the, the satiety there just how they keep you fuller for longer is fantastic and brian we'll, we'll segue now slightly into so someone here listening now they want to improve the overall quality of their diet and with the goal being of just to improve their body composition i mean where do we even start right yeah i mean if you're trying to improve your body composition well with anything you have to first assess where you're currently at right so if you look at what a typical poor diet might look like for someone who is struggling with their body composition or their body composition is going the wrong way yeah. what does that look like that usually looks like you know low intakes of uh plant foods definitely low intakes of uh, protein across the day, uh, high intakes of, you know, hyper palatable, very calorie dense foods. Um, so looking at that, then that will give you an idea of where to start if someone is trying to make improvements to their diet. So you start trying to incorporate more fruits and vegetables and uh, pulses and things like that, because, you know, the vast majority of people are not eating enough of those. So that's yeah. a worthwhile endeavor to try and get yourself to a place where you can eat, you know, multiple servings of those on a daily basis, um, ensuring that you have a pr uh, high protein intake overall, um, you know, and that goes for each main meal of the day, plus or minus whatever snacks you might have, um, making sure you're you're eating enough because most people don't eat enough protein, you know, breakfast and lunch. They might they may get enough at dinner, but it's not guaranteed depending on what they eat. Um, so those are those are things to to start with, and then you know I mentioned kind of excessive intake of hyper palatable food and really calorie dense stuff that's you know we say calorie dense it just means the weight of the food contains a lot of calories compared to another food right um so that makes those foods easy to overeat because they don't take up take up a lot of space in the stomach um but by virtue of eating more protein and more plants you tend to squeeze out some of the excesses that you might be having for for other food groups right so in 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 my approach to nutrition and coaching people it's often a case of okay what can we add in to to make this person's diet better rather than what do we take away because as i said they're adding in more protein adding in more fruits and vegetables will almost spontaneously just Spon remove the, remove the other stuff yeah or at least you know bring it down to a more yeah. reasonable quantity and then you know, then you can start to refine that a little bit more. It's like, okay, well, how much of those types of foods is acceptable on a day-to-day -day basis? You obviously have to, you know, monitor your progress and things like that. Um, you know, it's important, I think, to have awareness of your eating behaviors and, you know, you know, when do you eat? Why do you eat at those times? You know, often it's just the daily structure that's handed to you um, based on your job or, or your studies or whatever it is. Um, so thinking to yourself, you know, okay, how hungry am I now for this meal? And as you're going through the meal saying, okay, how hungry am I? Or how full am I feeling as I'm eating this? 
um and then give some credence to okay if if i have fat loss goals or body composition goals maybe i stop at around like 70 percent 80 percent full um rather than just eating all of the portion that's in front of me because that's on the plate yeah this is, this is what i always say to people is like what are the odds that the full plate of food is always the right amount because that's how people often treat it because like okay i clean my plate and that's my that's my meal done right um so you're telling me that's the perfect amount for you every single time like every meal you've had for the last sure. few years or whatever it is you know yeah. um, and you know people who tend to have an easier time managing their weight would have an easier time you know leaving food when they're full considering like oh i'm actually hungry for this do i actually want this um i mean able to say no or i've had enough like that's that's definitely a an important attitude to build i think for long-term success in this stuff yeah and and just because you're kind of talking about there obviously portion sizes and control and having some metrics there too how important do you feel is it brian for somebody to actually go through a period of time where they're using like my fitness pad or one of these apps and actually tracking their calories i think it's i think it's highly informative and educational um it's probably not something that most people are going to do for the rest of their lives. Some yeah. people are perfectly happy to do it and, and track just all the time. And that's grand. Um, but, you know, in terms of phases of coaching, we often do build in a phase of like, okay, let's work on moving away from tracking. If you have been tracking, um, because I think it can teach you a huge amount about your diet, like, and doing it properly as well, because, and that's, that's where it's useful to have a professional because like, you know, someone could be, excuse me, working away on my fitness pal on their own. And, you know, they could track a scone or something like they could look up a scone. Right. And it's like, okay, there's scones there that say there are hundred calories and there's scones down there. They're like 600 calories. So <laughs> pick yeah. the hundred calorie you want. Yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, you have to have some way of making the decision and unless you have maybe professional guidance or some sort of awareness of this stuff, you're probably not going to be sure which one is which um, in terms of what's the most appropriate one for you. So having someone look over your food diaries and be like, okay, you know, I see you had a scone there. You logged that as a hundred calories. The, the harsh reality is probably not a hundred calories. Like if you had a whole scone and that goes for a lot of different foods. So um, it'll teach you a lot about the foods um, and then having some sort of input there, I think is valuable because, um, you know, I look at food diaries on a daily basis for people and it's like, okay, uh, I can see where they're maybe making mistakes and they're reporting. You can have a chat about that. The person learns from that mistake. Um, so it's really, really valuable. But I think I think you have to take an active approach to, to tracking um, because you do see it a lot where people are very passive about it. And they're just like, oh, OK, I'll scan that. And OK, that's the numbers there. But they never really like look at it to to see, oh like okay so my normal ball of oats in the morning is 200 calories from the oats and then you know 100 calories from the whey protein etc etc so you want to actually you know engage with the process and say what can this teach me because that's going to be really important for actually moving away then from tracking because then you learn to you know kind of eyeball foods and you sort yes. of have a, yeah. a reference point for this sort of stuff but a lot of people don't do that with tracking they just plug in the numbers and actually don't pay attention to what's going on so that's why it's 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 good to you know after you've been doing it for a little while start to try and test yourself and be like okay i'm going to try way out 
you know, 40 grams of oats here and, and let's see how close I get, you know, cover up the number on the scales and, and see them when you put your oats out. It's like, oh, okay, you know, it was 35 grams. That's pretty good. Um, and there's going to be standard measures and stuff. You know, I use a protein scoop for my oats. So I 100%, know I, man. Yeah, 35 grams. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, all right, I'm going to have two scoops in every bowl of oats. And then if I want yeah. to modify that, I can. Um, but that's, yeah, it's it's really useful to to track and, and to get an appreciation of the macro content and calorie content of foods. Um, but then, yeah, you have to be kind of, you know, <laughs> you have to have your eyes open, so to speak, while you're doing it, yeah. because um, you probably notice this yourself, but there's there's loads of error, well, in my fitness pal, oh. but especially for things like fiber um, quantities of food. So people are, you know, the, the user, the, the database is user managed, right? So people can be lazy, right? They put in the calories uh, and then the, the fats, carbs and, and protein, but maybe not the fiber. Um, so you'll see a lot of foods have like zero grams of fiber listed when they're actually a high fiber food, you know, or you'll just see some mad shit the odd time where it's like, okay, yeah, this food was listed as, as being, you know, 50 grams of protein in a serving and it's like potatoes or something. It's like, that's clearly a mistake. But, you know, I can tell that people aren't looking at that as they log it because otherwise they'd probably stop and say, hey, that doesn't look right. So ask yourself as you're going through, does this look right? And then, you know, learn what you need to learn about tracking. So then you can eventually move away from it using those skills that you developed, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like the the one teaspoon of, of peanut butter, the one teaspoon of butter when... In reality, if you were to actually assess and look at how much they took, it's probably at least double what they've written down on the MyFitnessPal. Just, just curious in your thoughts as well, Brian. I recently heard in a podcast with Jordan Syed and um, Mike Vacanti, and they were speaking about just tracking food, as you said. And it's just interesting you spoke about the importance of actually being active in the process of tracking. You're not just, you know, pressing the tick for the first for the first scone you see on the list there. They mentioned and they brought up an important point that those who tracked immediately after the age versus those who waited until end of day and then tracked it all at once. Mm. Well, whose whose reports do you think were more accurate? Immediately after versus end of day? Definitely immediately after. Like yeah. 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 They were saying like the calories were like so obsessively skewed in the wrong direction, those who did it end of day by upwards of as much as 50%. So they could have been reporting like 1200 when in reality it was 1200 plus another six on top, you know? Mm. So there, it just, as you said, taking that active approach to tracking is really important. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's something that anyone who's tracking, like as a client, I'd, I'd suggest, you know, log it right after you have it or while you're having it. Like it's not, it doesn't take a lot of time to do, you know, I've had people sometimes, you know, complains like, Oh, you know, the effort of, of having to log it like at every meal, it's like it's not that much effort really you know yeah you're what are you doing you're probably on your phone when you're eating anyway so <laughs> it's it's literally an extra five minutes of your day and it can make yeah, a, as you said that. a huge difference so brian if if we assess the calories then obviously like as you mentioned the macros and the makeup of those calories is important for a lot of people listening you look at their protein intake and it's deficient at breakfast. It's like, even if you have oats, fantastic source of carbohydrate, but as you know yourself, it's not like a, a source of protein. 
for lunch, it could be something like soup, which mm. again, you know, depending on the type can be quite beneficial if there's veggies there. But again, there's no protein. And then, you know, you might have like some, they get to a point where at dinner, they've had no lean source of protein. And then that could be, you know, the chicken breast or the mince or whatever form of meat you're having there. And their total for the day could be as little as 50, 60 grams. How does somebody in that position, what are some ways that they can actually bump up the amount of protein they get on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. It's probably where I'd have to start with the vast majority of people uh, that I'm working with. So um, my part of another part of my nutrition philosophy, like in, including it being an additive kind of approach rather than a subtractive is that I want to tweak what the person's currently doing rather than trying to like throw out their existing dietary pattern in place of something new that can be quite hard to implement even harder to sustain for somebody it's also not necessary so if we take that example that you gave me it's like okay that's adrian's diet now all right how do we actually improve that like in in the context of of more protein right so take the breakfast first of all um i think you know the kind of the dairy-based high protein snacks and drinks and puddings and mousses and all that kind of stuff that we have in, in the food supply at the moment um i think they make life much much easier for for this kind of thing because you know if you have one of those protein yogurts uh in the fridge or, or the pouch or when the pouches at the pots or whatever it is like you can just add that to basically any meal and it's just an extra you know 20 25 gram protein right super easy tastes nice as well um, low in calories, low in fat, just, you know, high in protein and a bit of carbohydrates from the dairy. So uh, for porridge-based breakfast, I would say, okay, just add in however many of those kind of thing, like protein yogurts or skier yogurt or fat-free Greek yogurt, um, add enough of that in based on your needs that it gives you, you know, enough protein at that meal. You know, if you're, if you're trying to hit, say, 150 pro uh, grams of protein per day and, you have three meals then it's like okay i know i have to get 50 grams per meal approximately right it doesn't have to be perfectly even split but yeah. it's a good idea to have it reasonably distributed across the day um so you can have that you can use a protein shake you can you know drink that on the side uh, or any of those kind of protein drinks that you can get or you can stir some whey protein into the oats or just add a couple of eggs you know on the side with the porridge um lots of ways to do that and, and you can see how that there's very little that the person actually has to change there except to add that stuff in. Right. Um, then for something like soup, again, it's pretty like, again, you could have soup and say, all right, I'm going to have like a protein yogurt for, you know, my quote unquote dessert after lunch. Right. That will, that will do part of the job. Um, but for things like soup, I uh, like for people to, first of all, bulk them out with things like chickpeas, lentils, beans. Right. So yeah. if you're making soup, you can get a can of, of those and then just, throw them into it. And then when you heat up the soup, they'll get heated up as well. And um, that adds a lot of fiber that adds a lot of uh, micronutrients, uh, some carbohydrates, some protein, not a great way to get protein in, but you know, it's it, especially if you're on a plant-based diet, they will make up a decent serving of your protein per day. Um, but then you can get things like, you know, pre-cooked chicken, pre-cooked ham, Absolutely, beef, man. just throw those in. You can get pre-cooked, uh, you know, prawns that are ready to eat just throw those in like they are like I'm, I'm talking about very convenient ways here intentionally yeah. right, to to make this you know easier for people to implement 
Um, I was talking to a lady yesterday uh, on a consult client of mine who uh, was making soup, right? So same example. Uh, and I think corn is very, very useful in this context as well. So, you know, the the yep. free uh, protein. The free, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a mycoprotein. So it's made from the, the mushroom family, basically. But um, what I like about that is it cooks very quickly from frozen. Um, and there's now like, you know, hygiene issues like you would have with, with raw meat or fish or poultry, right? So you can cook that really, really quickly. Um, for example, the the corn mince or the corn, uh, you know, pieces. Um, you know, it, it looks like chicken pieces, but it's not obviously. Um, but you you can just microwave that, or you know, if you're heating up soup soup in a pot or something, uh, you can just throw that in, and it'll be ready in like ten minutes or less. Um, or just cook cook the corn separately and then just add it to your soup as needed, right? Um, that corn is is very high in protein, very high in fiber as well. So another bonus there um and if you get the one that's kind of like minimally processed like i said the pieces or the mints um you're not going to get like any carbohydrates or fats really right so uh just in terms of the the time that that takes to prepare and the, and the quality of the food uh, i think that's a really really useful yeah way to to do that and that's something i do a lot myself as well yeah yeah as you said it just comes down to convenience like it takes no extra effort to have one of those protein yogurts or some 0% um, faye or skier yogurt at breakfast, get some sliced chicken. If you cannot cook it yourself the day before, add that to your soup. And then for dinner, you have more control over that as well, which I love. Brian, I'm just curious on your thoughts. So I feel it to be fair in the industry, there is a big movement away from like the IIFIM, if it fits your macros, where for years you were blasted with these YouTubers who are absolutely shredded to the bone and they're just it, it they make it appear look like they're just having cereal for breakfast they're having these toasties these bagel these cinnamon buns and you know this is how i look like this when in reality we know the importance of obviously their calories their protein they probably have it all done out to an absolute tea and they're just showing the highlights but just in your end brian i'm curious has there actually been studies or any research done where we'll say one group were like what we'll call an 80, 20 or 90, 10 approach where 80 or 90% of their foods are what we call more single ingredient, minimally processed foods. And the other 10 to 20% are more refined versus a group who were more like IIFIM that look, if it fits your calories, if it fits your macros, you can have anything you want. Do you know, is there any such study done where we'll say over an 8, 12, 16 week period, you were to measure two groups with we'll say the same calorie target but obviously the makeup of those calories are different and how they would have looked before and after in terms of body composition yeah it's a good question um i don't know if there's a well to my knowledge there's no direct studies comparing it's a hard one to study yeah it would be um, but you do you do get a lot of information uh from like that you can glean from studies done on you know say say body composition or fat loss um where there's different you know macronutrient splits but calories are are the same right so the isocaloric um studies um you know th that's quite well established in say like you know low carb versus high carb uh approaches to nutrition right where yeah. a lot of people would say that oh low carb is, is superior for fat loss when I mean, it's not really because when you take those two groups same calories um 
match protein as well, which is important because like that's a that's often a confounding factor in in research looking at body composition is that okay if someone goes on a low carb diet they probably also start eating more protein so you have to make sure those are equated um i mean but you, can, you can look at like research that like more refined diets versus minimally refined diets right so you can look at even things like you know the, the calorie extraction from more refined foods is higher than than from whole foods right so the more processed or hyper processed or refined a food is you may extract more energy from that so that means that like even if you have if you're eating the same amount of you know calories in theory you're extracting more um if your diet is more processed if that makes sense absolutely um, you know give an example like eating whole almonds versus almond butter uh you know, you extract more calories from the almond butter than you do from the whole almonds, right? It's not, it's not a lot like obviously, but if you were to like, you know, extend that over an entire lifestyle and dietary approach and you, you make that the case for all foods, like it's, it's not a great example in, in the, in the case that like, they're both kind of minimally processed anyway, you know? Yeah. So like a, a better comparison would be like, you know, almonds versus you know nutella or something maybe because it's more you know sure sugar yeah yeah and, and oils in that but um i'd like to actually answer your question if if the calories are matched and protein is matched you should yeah, see calories and protein match would say yeah you'll see pretty much the same results from uh both diets and you know there's there's people who've done uh kind of experiments to to prove this point so i don't know if you ever saw the guy who just ate ice cream and whey protein for 100 days i don't know if you ever saw him no yeah. i never saw it he's going back a few years now to be fair but yeah he, he, just to prove this kind of if it fits your macros point all he ate was ice cream basically and then just use whey protein to hit his protein targets to make sure he wasn't just low in protein um and then, uh, yeah, did that. I think for it was for a hundred days, and you know his body composition improved because he's in a calorie deficit. Now he wasn't feeling very well by the end. Of <laughs> That's a caveat, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, the other part of the conversation, right? It's like, yeah, are you yeah. healthy doing that? And no, you're not. Now, did he get healthier as a result of losing the body fat that he had to lose? He did, right? So yeah. certain blood work improved, but. He started to feel pretty shit by the end of that. Um, and like, that's an N equals one experiment, obviously, but it, it does illustrate a point um, yeah. that yes, where body composition is concerned, if you get your calories in order and you get your protein in order, then yes, like on paper, if it fits your macros works, but the argument then is like, yes, but how do you actually set up? It's not, it's not, it's not just about having a calorie deficit. It's about how do you set up your diet and lifestyle so that you can adhere to a calorie deficit for as long as you need to, to get the results from it, yeah. right? If your diet is really low satiety, really low nutrients, you're going to feel pretty shit and you're going- How to... are you feeling exactly? How yeah. is your energy levels? Yeah. So it's not going to, like, you can't, I don't think it's fair to compare the two in sure. that context. Now, the if it's your macros movement, like not, not in the way that you- uh, described it and that's how it often is like where people are just like oh yeah just eat, 
you know, they just show you the the twenty percent. The twenty percent, exactly, man. Um, I don't think anyone does that well eating just kind of a fairly poor diet and just making sure they eat enough protein, you know. And that's definitely not good for long term health, right? So whatever yeah. about body composition, it's definitely not good for for your long term health because you're going to be missing micronutrients or micronutrients. You're going to be missing, um, you know, plant phytochemicals and things like that that you can't, are harder to quantify. You know, they're not just a macronutrient and they're you know, not even a traditional micronutrient, but they basically are. So I think it was helpful in terms of liberating people from like this discussion of like, oh, is it okay for me to eat peanut butter? Is it okay for me to eat cheese? Is it okay for me to eat, you know, beef? And it's like, you know, you can stop asking these kind of questions about individual foods because it's your overall dietary pattern that matters and then how that relates to your overall calorie and micronutrient intake and then also micronutrient intake i love and, that approach man. yeah so i think that that whole if it's your macros i help people help free people from like the idea of there being good or bad foods which is definitely valuable um but it goes too far if people get the impression that as you said you can just have you know cereal and whey protein and just basically eat shite all day and as long as you're within your targets like yeah like you said on paper it works but you're gonna feel like dog shit is that what you want to do like do you want to as you said do you want to feel like dog shit for the rest of the day as a result of doing that probably not so and the rest of your life essentially if that's how you're building your your habits exactly man yeah no i actually that's a good frame of mind to as you said that it gives people freedom and it's liberating to know that can i have insert food absolutely Given that you know you 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 stay within the parameters of the calories, the protein, the, maybe the 80, 20, 90, 10 approach, but on the flip side, not to take it to the extremes. <laughs> it's always somewhere in the middle, Brian. Yeah. Um, Brian, because obviously of time of year as well, and I know this is something that you coach a lot of your clients on as well. Like just obviously we, we kind of touched on developing a good relationship with food. And on the back of that, then often comes binge eating. Mm. What would you say are some of the, first of all, if you were to assess, like what are the most common triggers? Uh, the most common triggers, there's three typically, right? Um, so the first one is just not eating regularly enough. So basically you're binging because you're overly hungry, right? So that can be the type of person who tries to eat very little all day. Or it could be even the type of person that, you know, that, you know, hypothetical diet for yourself earlier where, you know, they're eating very little in that first two thirds of the day. And then they might have a dinner, but like, because they've had so little earlier in the day, then that's where they, you know, eat an entire pack of biscuits with their, their cup of tea in the evening, right? Because the energy intake of the day is very skewed. So, you know, making sure your, your kind of energy intake is reasonably spread throughout the day and you're not ending up super hungry in the evening like that that's one of the reasons i don't i want to get into it like right now because you asked me i said there's three things and i haven't got onto the second two yet so So hunger yeah hunger um uh overly restrictive diet diets basically um and what that looks like is having diet rules there you can't eat xyz foods and um, for whatever reason, you know, we've, we've talked a bit around that earlier on already, but you can't eat certain foods. And if you do, you have then fucked up and that will trigger the binge because the mentality here is 
okay, I'm never supposed to eat that food, right? For whatever reasons that I've come up with or I've been led to believe, right? I'm never supposed to eat that food. I have eaten it now, so I better make the most of it. Because Therefore, I better keep going. Yeah. Because as soon as this sort of binge is resolved, I'm going back to never eating that food again. Yeah. Like if I said to you, Adrian, right, this is like you're eating a cheeseburger right now, but this is the last time you're ever going to eat a cheeseburger, you know? And it's like, as soon as you leave this restaurant and stop ordering cheeseburgers, yeah, more cheeseburgers, right? You're probably yeah. going to sit there and be like, well, fuck, I'm going to... Gonna have- <laughs> Can I get five more, please? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the second reason, kind of diet rules and restrictions. And then the third will be, uh, this is a broad category, but emotional, emotionally driven yeah. binge eating, right? And that can that can result from a lot of things, right? It can be like, you know, stress triggers or relationship triggers, trauma triggers. Um, it's basically just where food becomes a coping mechanism. The binge eating, like binge eating is characterized as kind of this, you're almost like uh, out of body experience while you're doing it. So yeah. it, it kind of numbs everything out. So it can, it can assist people, you know, you know, I say assist in quotation marks, but uh, it can assist people by allowing them to tune, like just to numb or block out all the negative feelings they might be experiencing, right? Because while they're binging, they're not feeling lonely or they're not feeling upset or they're not feeling, you know, worried about whatever it is that that's bothering them. Um, so it has that effect. And then it can also have the effect of like, you know, obviously if you're eating hyperpalatable food, there is a sort of short-term like, gratification yeah, and it'll it yeah. could help you feel better as well as potentially blocking out some some of the negative stuff. Um, yeah. So those those are the three main ways that yeah. you see binge eating occur. It's yeah. kind of like a coping mechanism mechanism, as you said, Brian. Some people might resort to alcohol where they just have a couple of drinks to unwind to get their head off something, and then obviously wake up the next day and there's some stage you got to deal with it. But just now at the moment, I just don't want to think about it. Same with people with food, as you said be stress stress at work stress in their relationships their overall lifestyle or things just not going their way yeah brian um just going off the back of that then so seeing as we spoke about binge eating i actually so w- one of her clients here she she would have um, celebrated thanksgiving and she was on a weight loss journey and this was like a big aha moment for her that she was able to like enjoy the thanksgiving meal the dinner quote-unquote guilt-free and just, you know, save some calories maybe during the week so she could have a bit more that, that Thursday. But I know just a lot of people listen, Brian. If they're if they're on a health and fitness journey, there's either a belief that if they, you know, they've anxiety, I guess, just eating out at restaurants or socializing with their friends. And they're they're just worried that they're going to lose all their progress, we'll say one meal or one night out. Mm. But just in general, Brian, for anyone here listening coming up to the christmas period also like what are some just general piece of advice you'd give to someone who does have have that element of social anxiety whether it is with alcohol or food or both um on a night out or a meal out with family and friends yeah so if we're looking at this like usually it'll it'll come back to you know it's like why is there an issue with this well it's like okay i'm gonna potentially consume more calories than i have allotted right in this day or week or whatever it may be and that is going to be counterproductive to my fat loss goals right so there's a a multitude of ways we can look at this um but if someone's going out for a meal 
you know, so one of the ways you can manage this is try and, you know, do some calorie, you know, budgeting or banking, right? So if you know that uh, you have a certain average calorie target to hit on a week to week basis, then you know that if you, you know, delegate, you know, 100 or 200 calories for a few days of that week to the day that you have, say, Thanksgiving, then that gives you a bigger budget, so to speak, for that day. Now, there's, you know, there, this can be a double-edged sword because if you push it too far, then you can end up just too hungry um, yeah. day to day, right? So there are limitations to, to sort of all this stuff, but you can push it too far and then you may end up overeating anyway, um, which is obviously counterproductive. And like, if you push that too far, you know, let's say someone's calorie target is, is 2000 calories and they eat 4000 calories on one day. You know, you can't just try and compensate by having zero the next day to, to make yeah. that. Right. Because that's that's disordered and that's, you know, not a good path to go down. Um, But you can do that to to an extent. OK, Um, then what I also encourage people to do is like at uh, food food situations, I would basically a lot of this comes back to just being more mindful with what you're doing with your eating so the more mindful you are the more bellyful you're going to be as well chances are going through the meal so uh I kind of touched on this earlier but pay attention to how you're feeling as you're going through that meal eat the meal slowly because if you eat it too fast you you don't have time to acknowledge how full you are and you know you can already be stuck into dessert or whatever before the dinner has even settled so to speak um, and then you end up overly full, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes later. I was like, where did that come from? It's like, well, now that the dinner had time to actually guess, yeah. send the satiety signals to, to your brain, now you realize you actually had enough. So take your time with the meals. You know, I talk about this, this 5, 10, 15 approach to, to meals. So five deep breaths before the meal, right? Um, that helps put your body into a more relaxed state. It also kind of primes people to actually get ready to pay attention to the eating itself and so five deep breaths uh 10 seconds between like mouthfuls so you know put your fork down put your knife down put the food down if it's like a sandwich or something chew it properly um that will force you to slow down obviously as well um and just pay and it'll give you a chance to pay attention to what the food actually tastes like what the the textures of the food are like if you're eating with company it give you a chance to, you know, actually engage in conversation, et cetera. And then the 15 is, you know, 15 minutes at least to eat the meal. Right. Because, yeah. you know, when I get people to start tracking this stuff initially, it's like, yeah, I eat, I eat a meal in six minutes. And it's like, that's, that's quite a short space of time to put away a full meal. Right. And then, you know, if you eat that in six minutes and it's like, okay, well, what's next? Because you're still hungry. You're still hungry. It hasn't digested. Yeah. So that's, that's huge, man. And and people, people get a lot out of that because it, it totally removes them from the whole tracking side of things as well, which is another cause of anxiety. It's like, Oh, you know, I'm going to my family's for Thanksgiving and I don't know how to track that unless I weigh everything out. And it's like, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you can combine that five, 10, 15 approach with like some reasonable food selection when you're eating meals out. So, you know, when I'm talking to people about this, it's like, like you said already, it's like somewhere in the middle. So it's like, you're looking at the menu, you identify what's probably like kind of the worst options on the menu based on, you know, it could be low protein and very high in fat and very high in carbohydrates, right? That would be a pretty poor choice of like a main, right? 
Um, pizza. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. pizza is, is dense, but um, you do at least get some protein with it anyway, yeah. like the cheese and, and the, the gluten and stuff. Um, and then obviously, like the other end of that spectrum is like, well, you could ask for like plain grilled chicken and like plain vegetables. Now, I'm not going to recommend anyone do that unless they're on prep or something, right? And they, they have like extreme physique goals they need to stay on track with. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle. It's like, can I choose something that's, you know, reasonably good out of the things I would like to eat here? Because that's important. Um, try and make the meal reasonably high in protein. Try and make the other meals that you had that day quite high in protein and plant. Absolutely. Um, and then if you can do that, you know, make a reasonable food selection and pay attention to how full you're feeling as you're going through the meal. Um, it's kind of hard to go wrong, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, now obviously- i like that approach 5 10 15 and even like order an extra side of veggies or something if you wanted yeah you know um, bulk up add more instead of takeaways you said yeah and then what you'll probably find there is like okay you know i've had a starter and a main now and i'm not really that much in the mood for dessert or you know you might know for yourself that you have a sweet tooth so you'll prefer to have a dessert over a starter so you skip the starter have your main and you know either have a whole dessert or maybe share a dessert you know because it's like it doesn't take a lot of dessert to enjoy the taste and flavors of it if you yeah. get me um like for me i'm a dessert fiend right so i'll always take a dessert over a starter right so i, I go into meals out knowing that you know if they have something that looks proper good on the dessert menu i'm probably gonna like get it um but you don't have to eat it all uh just because you're eating a meal out and because you paid for it and all that sort of stuff people tell themselves um you know you can honor your and respect how full you are and, and the satisfaction of the meal and sometimes you will just eat more because it tastes nice right but with nutrition and body composition it's what you do most of the time uh that actually matters right not what you do on this you know one day a week that's once a year right so that's another point that would make for something like thanksgiving week it's like, do you really need to be in a deficit that week? Like, of all the other weeks, you could be in a deficit, you know? <laughs> you chose this week, yeah. That's you a want great to point. Just, maybe do you just bring your calories up to maintenance? And, yeah. you know, so, you know, probably stick on the same calories for most of the week, but then, uh, you know, whatever you end up consuming as extra on Thanksgiving, probably bring you up to maintenance, right? Because, you know, it'll yeah. be another thousand fifteen hundred calories depending on the, the size of the person um and then just just take it from there like no no stress about it now again like i said earlier there's there's limitations to all this stuff where um you could feasibly come up with a reason to to not adhere every week it's like oh i went to the cinema or oh i went for a meal with a friend or something so you have to obviously be honest with yourself as well and say okay look uh, I'll pick my battles here, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with family or friends is obviously kind of a high yield uh, event, whereas going to the cinema, something you do, you know, maybe pretty often, maybe you're happy enough to just, you know, bring a protein bar and some water or something instead exactly. of exactly. Yeah, it's the frequency fun. of it too. Yeah. But even I was speaking to uh, Daniel Davey who was on previously and as he yeah. was saying, 
if you have four meals a day spread across seven days a week, that's 28 meals a week. And let's be honest, if if we're applying these principles that you mentioned, like the calories are pretty intact, the macro, the micronutrients, your protein, the 80, 20, 90, 10 approach. If you're doing all of those things consistently, like even that one meal there where if you go a bit overboard with the limits and and things aren't always in alignment with those principles in the grand scheme of things, one out of 28, like that's still pretty consistent. But it's just like, as you said, I, it's funny this time of year, Brian, people spend more time worrying about how much weight they'll put on between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day and then forget about the other 47 weeks of the year. It's like, again, it just comes down to consistency, which is probably the, the number one driving factor of all of this. Brian, I'd love to talk to you about a, a number of other topics, but I am conscious of time here as well. So we will just uh, wrap things up with just our final five, and these are going to be rapid fire, Brian. All right, so just as uh, one, like one word or, or one sentence where possible. Nice. First of all, reflecting back in 2022, one new habit you've implemented yourself, Brian. Um, a new habit. <laughs> Started using Google Calendar to plan my days, and it's been great in terms of like productivity and, and managing stuff. I love it, man. Awesome. Similar to myself, I like that. Um, what when you hear the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? Jeez, uh, David Attenborough. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, if you could go back in time. Brian, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? One piece of advice. Uh, read more nonfiction. If, it depends how young I'm going here, but yeah. Read more nonfiction. Gotcha. Okay. What do you feel, Brian, is the most underrated gym exercise that most people don't do enough of? Don't do enough of probably split squats. Is that a fair answer? <laughs> I think it's the most common one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no one looks forward to those. Finally, Brian, what's something that you're currently excited about yourself? Um, I am very likely going back to education next year. So I'm looking, I'm like 90% settled on this, that I'm going to do a, a degree of some sort in counseling and psychotherapy to complement my nutrition coaching. Um, yeah. so I'm very excited about the the prospect of that and, and being better able to serve people and, and help more people as a result of having those skills. Awesome. That sounds yeah. awesome, Brian. Unreal. Unreal. Brian, before we wrap it up with our, with our actual final two questions, where, what share something first of all, Brian, about yourself that most people don't know. Bring us back to the start. Yeah, um, I would say that I'm. This is kind of a weak answer because I couldn't think of anything good. Um, but I'm a big nerd. If that's any good to people, um, like I enjoy uh, a lot of geeky stuff. Um, like I'm trying to think of examples, but uh, yeah, like I like all those comic book movies and um, uh. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is definitely a guilty oh, pleasure. Oh, deadly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a guilty pleasure. I think a lot of people actually enjoy that. So, Closing yeah. back to the childhood days. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. 
Finally, Brian, and because this is the Lifestyle Lifters show, what is your definition of living a successful lifestyle? Living a successful lifestyle, I think, is having a good grasp on, you know, what your values are and then taking action, like on a daily basis that, that is in support of those. I think I think that's one of the best ways to, to live a successful and kind of fulfilled life. I love it. I love it. Brian, this has been amazing, man. First of all, I want to thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your knowledge, your expertise. No doubt a ton of value for all of our listeners here. Where can people learn more, Brian, about you and what you offer? Yeah, thanks so much, Adrian. That was that was a fun chat. Um, so I appreciate you having me on. Um, if people want to find out more about me, uh, Instagram is definitely the best place. Uh, it's the only social platform I'm really active on. So that's at Brian O'Hengisa, or you can find me through, you know, the triage method page. Um, because you know that's that's the company I work for. So uh triage method or or at Brian O'Hengisa, you can you can find out more about me. Um and also the I'll, yeah, yeah, you'll link that stuff. I'll I'll post the links exactly. I'll post I'll post your IG in the show notes for anyone who obviously if you're not doing it already, definitely shoot Brian to follow there. And as you said, take uh, just send him a message on Instagram or take it from there. Yeah, sound man. Brian, this has been awesome. I feel we could definitely talk about much more uh, or talk in much more detail. I'm just for coming up to time there. So I thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And we might do a round two next year. Yeah, sure thing. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, awesome.